faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? We are concluding with our sermon series this morning, learning from others' mistakes. And we've been looking at a lot of different uh, mistakes as they've been uh, shown to us in the Bible, failures that people have uh, had in terms of living out their faith and so forth. And uh, I've always said it's better to learn from others than our own, but we can learn from both. Um, this morning's mistake is probably going to be the, the biggest, really, uh, that's listed it for us in the Bible, because I want to take a look this morning at the mistake of the Roman governor who uh, decided to have uh, the Son of God uh, put to death. We're going to look at today at Pontius Pilate. Now, Pilate is an interesting uh, character um, in the Bible. Um, He's a governor of Judea from about 26 AD to 36 AD. So he ruled over Judea for uh, about 10 years. Jesus uh, was put to death in about the middle of his reign. Um, it's interesting from history, there's, a, there's a, a couple different views of Pilate. Um, the first view and the most probably predominant view is that Pilate was somewhat of a heavy-handed individual. He, he was um, somewhat um, uh, persecuting of the Jews, didn't really like the Jews as, as how a lot of people understand Pilate. Um, in the end, after being the governor of Judea for 10 years, he's called back to Rome to give an account for some things that he had done. And uh, he is then relieved of duties and goes off into the sunset of retirement. But honestly, being a governor for 10 years is a significant period of time because you're, you're dealing in a day and age in which the life expectancy was um, quite a bit shorter than today. So late 40s, maybe early 50s is all to be expected. So uh, he, he did rule for uh, uh, a, a number of years. Um, what's interesting, though, is that that history kind of per, uh, paints this picture of, of Pilate as, as being somewhat um, heavy-handed and aggressive to the Jews, but that's not how the Gospels paint uh, Pilate. It, when, when we read the account of, of of Jesus' trial, Pilate really comes across as being somewhat level-headed, um, uh, one that that found no reason to, to uh, crucify Jesus and, in fact, wanted to see Jesus to be free. Um, the question is, is, which is the real Pilate? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's an issue of, uh, you know, if Pilate really didn't like the Jews, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the fact that the Jews hated Jesus may have made Jesus a little bit more um, uh, palatable to Pilate than otherwise. Um, there is an interesting account in Scripture of uh, just an example of how Pilate would uh, treat the Jews with disrespect. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 1. So now there were some present at that time, that is during Jesus' ministry, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. 
So if you think about it, you sacrificed animals at the temple in Jerusalem as a payment for, for sin, and there's reasons for different uh, sacrifices. But Pilate, who had some Galileans killed, intermixed the blood of human beings with the blood of animals, and uh, the Jews would have found that highly, highly offensive. So there you have an example of, you know, at times uh, Pilate seemed to be a little bit um, uh, aggressive and unfriendly uh, to the Jews. Um, in the end, Pilate didn't really want anything to do with Jesus. His wife uh, had visions and dreams the night before Pilate ultimately had to try Jesus uh, to have nothing to do with him. Uh, so Pilate really tried to take the responsibility of, of, of what would happen to Jesus and sent Jesus over to Herod to have Herod kind of figure it all out. Herod asked a few questions, but in the end didn't want anything to do with, uh, with making that decision either. And so Jesus was sent back to Pilate. And now Pilate has to make a decision. He's the only one who has the authority to put put Jesus to death or, um, or, or to free him. In fact, when Pilate was questioning Jesus about who he was, Jesus wasn't even answering Pilate. And Pilate said, don't you know that I have the authority to put you to death or, or to set you free? And Jesus' response to Pilate was, you don't have any authority other than the authority that was uh, given to you. So Pilate did not want to put him to death. So what he does is he has Jesus uh, flogged, beaten quite severely in the hopes that that would appease the, the Jews and that ultimately they would, uh, you know, be, be fine with Jesus being let go after that. But that didn't appease them either. Um, and so ultimately Pilate offers them a deal. Okay, I'm going to release someone to you. Do you want me to release Barabbas, this murderer, to you? <laughs> Or do you want me to release uh, Jesus to you? And they said, release Barabbas. Well, what then shall I do with Jesus? Crucify him. And so then you ultimately have Pilate putting Jesus to death, even though Pilate didn't believe that Jesus did anything deserving of death. So what can we learn from this leadership mistake, this leadership failure of Pilate? Well, I want to take a look at four different uh, points uh, this morning. The first is this. Mistakes are at times part of God's plan. And not only would I say mistakes are at times part of God's plan, but mistakes are at times a necessary part of God's plan. And I think this is important for us to understand because we're people who make mistakes. Now, if you think about it, it was a mistake of Pilate to put Jesus to death. One, uh, Jesus, in Pilate's mind, wasn't deserving of it. So it was a, a leadership mistake uh, that the, he allowed the will of the people to cause him to change what it was he was going to do. But it was also a moral and ethical mistake. But if Pilate doesn't make that mistake, Jesus doesn't get put to death because it's the only person who had the authority to put Jesus to death. If Jesus doesn't get put to death, then the sacrifice of God has never been, been made and and you and I would be uh, forever apart from God uh, without that price having been paid for through the blood of the Lamb of God. It was a necessary mistake. Not only was it a necessary mistake from him, but if you back it up a, a little bit, the only reason that Jesus is before Pilate is because the religious leaders made a mistake. The religious leaders didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was blasphemous. So it was their mistake that ultimately puts Jesus before Pilate. Now, let's just say that the religious leaders had, had made their mistake to go before Pilate, and, and Pilate's trying to decide what to do. There's others that are making mistakes as well, namely the crowd, because just 
just a couple days earlier as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Everyone's laying down their cloaks and palm branches singing Hosanna, son of David, um, uh, Hosanna in the highest. And, and they're basically worshiping Jesus. But a couple days later, because Jesus doesn't turn out to be this political Messiah that they're expecting, even the crowds make a mistake. So it takes the crowds making a mistake and the religious leaders making a mistake and Pilate making a mistake for God's plan to ultimately happen. Not to mention, what about Judas and the mistake that he makes? You know what, this concept isn't just unique to um, the story of Jesus. All throughout scripture, you will see that God uses mistakes to accomplish his purpose and his plan. One of my favorite examples of that in the Old Testament is Old Testament Joseph, um, you know, Joseph of, of the coat of many co colors. His brothers make a mistake. That is, they beat up their brother, they throw him into a well, and they, set, they out of jealousy, sell their brother to some travelers that are heading to Egypt. Now, when Joseph gets to Egypt, um, you have, uh, you have uh, Potiphar buying him as a slave for his house, but then Potiphar's wife makes a mistake. The mistake is she's hitting on Joseph, and Joseph isn't responding, so she falsely accuses Joseph as hitting on her, and then uh, then Potiphar himself makes a mistake because he believes his wife's side of the story rather than Joseph. If all of this series of mistakes doesn't happen, Joseph doesn't end up in the king's dungeon. And it's when he was in the king's dungeon that he encounters the, uh, the Pharaoh's um, uh, chief baker and chief wine taster. And it's there that he interprets some dreams. And ultimately, because he interpreted those dreams, he gets a chance a couple years later to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. And then ultimately, he gets elevated in the second command of all of Egypt, which allows all of his relatives to come into Egypt during a famine, and Israel will stay there for a few hundred years as they become a mighty nation. You see that mistakes are at times part of God's plan and even a necessary part of God's plan. So as we're all sitting here worshiping this morning, we've all made mistakes. And as you're thinking about your life, and even if you're thinking about your most significant mistake that you've made in your life, the question is, is can you see how God has somehow worked even in spite of that mistake? And I would think that for the majority of us in here, the answer would be yes. I mean, it was painful uh, to make those mistakes, but ultimately good, and, and, and God works somehow even in the midst of those mistakes. Look at Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, in our mistakes, in our failures, in all these different things, even in the midst of all that, somehow God is going to work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. And oftentimes mistakes are even a part of God's plan. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the second point that we can learn about uh, Pilate and his failures, and that is this. You can't wash your hands of your responsibility to things in life. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's, a, there's an interesting perspective on what Pilate uh, does. Pilate doesn't want to put Jesus to death. And so somehow Pilate's trying to clear his conscience of it. And so he has this like ceremonial hand washing session where he's trying to wash his hands of Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 24 and 25. Now, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that in fact an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. 
And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Now, as nice as that is, that Pilate's trying to wash his hands of the responsibility of the death of Jesus, he can't. Why? Because he's the only one with the ability to, to put Jesus to death. As he told Jesus, I have the power to put you to death, but I have the power to free you. He wanted a, to free Jesus, but it was just because of the people that he chose not to. So who bears the responsibility? It's not the people that are, are shouting for it. I mean, they do bear some responsibility, but ultimate responsibility is in the one who had that leadership role in that leadership position and still chose to put Jesus to death. You know what? I, I think we have to be careful that we don't try to wash our hands of responsibility of certain things in life that we ultimately have responsibility over. Because in the end, if, if, if we have responsibility over it, if we have some impact uh, in a situation, for us to wash our hands of that responsibility to say, you know what, I just throw up my hands, there's nothing more I can do about it. You know what, we're not able to do that any more than Pilate is able to do it. What are the kind of things that we try to wash our hands of responsibility in? Um, Maybe it's in our kids' school, right? For some of you who've had kids growing up by now, or maybe you have kids in middle school or high school, you can sit there and you can just like be working with their kids. You can try to, you know, follow up and say, did you do your homework? Have you done this? Have you done that? And if they just don't care and they just aren't going to do it, I mean, you can ground them, you can do it. But in the end, it's like, you know what? If you don't want to make anything with your life, if you want to work in the fast food industry for the rest of your life, if you want to live in the basement, if you want to, okay, you know what? You do what, you know, you're going to do. And, and, and it's kind of like, washing our hands of the responsibility, but that's, that's, if we have some influence there, that's not what we should be doing. Maybe it's with our kids in general. Maybe, you know, as they get older, they become more disrespectful and they become rebellious and, 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 and we're like, you know what, just, you just go do what you, I'm done, peace out, right? You can't wash your hands of your responsibility. How about like, you know, it's really easy, especially when things are larger than us, right? When, when you think of government, in society as a whole. It's so easy, and I'm there with you. It's like, you know what? I don't even want anything to do with it. I'm just going to wash my hands of it because it's a mess. It's not going to get better. You know, just let it be. At work, at, at your own work, you know, you're not going to change your work. And so you're like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to put in my time, whatever. You wash your hands of responsibility. How about in a relationship? How easy is it in a relationship to say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm done or in our marriages. You know, the, the point being that, that sometimes, especially when things are overwhelming to us, we want to uh, wash our hands of responsibility, but you can't do that because if you have some influence in it, if you have some authority over it, you gotta do it. Now, where that really gets to be confusing is when it is like your work or if it is like government where one person isn't gonna stand up against a whole corporation or one person can't stand up against government or society, and you're right, one person can't. No more than one person can go against, a, you know, an invading army. But if you have this person combined with this person, with this person, this person, and these 10,000 people and these 10 million, people, you know, when, when you start doing that, now you can stand up against something. And as Christians in our culture, in our society, we've got to speak up because we ultimately have responsibility, not only in the smaller things like our family, but also in the bigger things in the world in which we live. One of the, um, the cop-outs that we like to say, though, when we're trying to wash our hands of responsibility is you hear people say this all the time. Well, you know, pastor, you, you got to choose your battles, right? 
Now, don't say that to me because, like, every battle's worth fighting for me, right? I mean, not everyone. Like, where you squeeze the toothpaste, I could, you know, get over it, right? If that toilet paper roll is coming off the top or the bottom, y'all don't need to be battling over that. That's just stupid, okay? But short of that, I mean, you do have to choose your battles, and, 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 and most things are worth speaking up for. I had a... Um, I had, a, I had some blood work on Friday, and I was uh, going to go into the, um, to the doctor's office for it, and, and I get out of the car, and I'm walking, and I'm just about ready to grab the door, and it's like, oh, you know, they've got the sign, do not enter without mask. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know if I got a mask anymore. I'm supposed to get the blood work done. Doctor's going to yell at me, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, ah. And then I go back to the car, and like, I'm digging through the trunk, and I end up finding this dingy old dirty mask that will make everyone happy, but here we go, Right? And then go back in and, and, and get the blood work done. And I was telling the lady about um, how I didn't even think I was going to be able to come in because I didn't even think I had a mask anymore. And she's like, you know what? That just happened to me the other day when I went to the doctor's office. And, and, uh, and, and, and she said, yeah, I'll be so glad here when, when they no longer require it. And I'm like, yeah, doctor's offices seem to be the last place that they're making you always have to wear it. She's like, not all of them. Some of them have stopped. I'm like, really? That's nice. I'm like, I'm so frustrated at my doctor during this whole you know, pandemic thing. He, he, he wasn't in favor of it. He didn't think it was really doing any good. He thought it was a whole waste. But yet when I would go there, you know, they would have all these policies in place and whatever. And I'd, I'd ask him, I, I know you don't believe in this stuff, so why are you requiring it? And his answer back to me was always, you know, it's just easier to go along with it than try to retrain and reeducate everyone. And I'm like, and I told the lady, I'm like, and as a pastor of a church, no, I mean, that, 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 it's not easier to do that. You have to re-educate. Re you have to speak up for what you believe and know to be right. Because if you're not going to do it, who else is? And she just turned at me, and I was like, oh, boy, here it comes. And she's like, thank you. And I'm like, thank you for what? She's like, she's like, that's exactly right. Regardless, you know, we're going to disagree on things. But, but, but if you believe in something, at least speak up for what it is that you believe so you see, it's, it's a cop-out when we just say, you know what, you got to pick your battles. Granted, there's some things that just aren't worth fighting over, but then short of that, then, then you know, if, if, if there's something that's better than a not, if there's something that's right and something that's wrong, we've got to speak up for that. The third thing that I want to uh, share from the story with Pilate is that you can learn a lot about leadership from Pilate's failures in leadership. Now, I'm not going to beat up on Pilate too much. I don't know what's the real Pilate of history, but the fact that he was a governor for 10 years, um, you know, he, he couldn't have been that bad. Um, but, you know, I certainly disagree with what he did with Jesus. Well, he needed to do that. God needed that mistake, right? So that ultimately Jesus would be put to death. But, um, but we want to talk a little bit about some of the failures that we see in Pilate's leadership. But before we do, what I want everyone in here, I want you to understand you are a leader somehow, some way in your life. Um, we're, late, we're leaders in our families if we, if we have children, right? Um, you know, you're supposed to be a leader of the family. Uh, and maybe your kids are grown up. You still have the opportunity to lead in your family uh, because you can lead as a matriarch or the patriarch. Um, you, can, you can still lead in, in the life of your grandkids. Um, we have opportunity perhaps to lead at church when we go to uh, maybe um, lead a Sunday school class or lead a, a small group or you know, lead some sort of ministry or what have you. There's plenty of opportunities for leadership at that. Some of you have leadership roles at your work. 
um, and 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 not even if you're not like in in administration and um, in, in leadership at your work, even amongst equals, we have a realm of leadership because even amongst equals, there's usually a person or two that will rise up that everyone kind of looks to to kind of set the tone or maybe answer the questions and so forth. We have the opportunity to lead in, in society in a general. Um, your HOAs, most HOAs can never get people to serve on the board of HOAs. Maybe you have the opportunity to coach your kids' uh, sports team or what have you. We have lots of opportunities to lead. But the problem is, is in leadership nowadays is, is really twofold, it seems. One, people tend to lead out of um, what's popular. Um, that is, okay, we're, we're going to do it because this is what the majority of the people are going to want to do. That's what Pilate does. That's what Pilate's failures. Pilate, Pilate should have, you know, he had a moral and ethical responsibility to go against the will of the people in order to save Jesus, but he leads because of popularity. So that's, that's a failure in leadership. Another failure in leadership is, is when we lead out of safety. And I have to laugh, like leaders who lead by, by not being provocative, who lead by, you know, just playing it safe and playing it comfortable. Why? So that they might remain in leadership, and our politicians do this the best, right? Because if they're sticking their neck out there, if they're at the forefront of leadership, you know, you, you, might, you might tick some people off. People might not be there. You know, you, you, that's what leading is, is they're not there and you're trying to bring them along. But it's safer to lead from behind because then, well, you're not really leading and then they're going to kind of leave you alone. I was talking with a pastor friend this past week and I like this guy a lot. We think a lot the same and I uh, just hadn't talked to him for several months and he had uh, reached out to me um, and wanted to try to grab lunch as he was in the area and I missed his call and returned it and, he's, and he said, hey, just wanted to get together and talk. So I ended up driving out to uh, uh, his house. He had the day off and I visited with him for like an hour or so. And I was talking with him about how his church was and he was asking about light of the world and so forth. And just kind of, you know, what God was doing and asked if uh, they were uh, going to be going in this one direction that he talked to me about. And he's like, no, you know, the people just seem to have lost their appetite for that. And, and then he's like, you know, I really feel like God's been calling me to, to speak out more on this and this is that. And I told him about, you know, some stuff that I've said recently in messages and so forth. And he just shakes his head and he's like, man, I have to give it to you. He said, you know, I could never get away with speaking like that. He said, I know I should, but if I did, if I, if I, if I speak spoke the way that I felt God was calling me to speak, um, my people would just have nothing to do with it and nothing to do with me. And I'm like, well, you know, what is leadership? You know, is leadership just allowing your people to decide what you're going to say? If you're feeling like God's calling you to say something and you choose not to do that, that that's a dangerous place to be, and, and that's not leadership. And if you're just trying to keep it safe and because you're keeping a job, then so what? Go ahead and lead. And if they get rid of you, you can always find another job because that's just how you're treating it anyways. And, you know, I I was just really kind of stretching him on it and so forth. And, and, and it, I'm just saying that like in politics and even in church and, and in the world in general, uh, people try to lead based upon popularity or lead out of safety, but that's not necessarily the type of leadership that God calls us to be as Christians. He calls us to lead as Jesus led. And so that leadership is through servitude. That leadership is in humility. But ultimately, that leadership is in obedience to the Father. So that everything that Jesus did, it wasn't what his disciples wanted. It wasn't what his mom wanted. It wasn't what like the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees or, or the Romans wanted. It was always out of obedience to the Father. So I said there's all these different ways in which we lead and that we actually have leadership. Does it even process through our minds 
that as we lead in these different ways, we need to do it out of obedience to our Heavenly Father. Think about Paul and his leadership, and, and Paul uh, spoke very clear, clearly that in his leadership, in the things that he did, it wasn't to win the approval of man, but of God. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? He said, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. When we're trying to please people through our actions, when we're trying to please people through our attitudes, when we're trying to uh, please people through the things that we do, we are not a servant of Christ because oftentimes the things that we do as we walk in obedience to Christ and the Father are going to set us at odds with the people who are around us. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, 25 to 27, now large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to the crowds, Jesus says, you know what, if any of you want to come after me and you don't hate your father, you don't hate your mother, you don't hate your wife, children, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, aunts, uncles, dogs, cats, whatever, yes, even your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Now, that's Jesus speaking, and, and, and that's how we should all be as Christians. That, frankly, that should be how we are as a church. It's like, you know what? If you're going to follow the church, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, it, it might, in fact, mean that your own family, your own loved ones, the people that you care most about in this world will have nothing to do with you. And leadership is, is, is that you don't care about that because ultimately you just care about walking in faithful obedience to the Father. The, um, the fourth point that I want to share about uh, Pilate and his failures is this interesting conversation uh, that the Gospel of John records uh, between Jesus and Pilate, and it has to do with truth. Let's look at John 18, 36 to 38. Jesus said to Pilate, as Pilate's grilling him, my kingdom is not of this world, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and I came into the world is to testify to the truth. For everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews that were gathered there, and he said, I find no basis for charge against him. Now, there's two things in this section of Scripture that I want to kind of close out on. And, and the first is um, uh, Jesus saying that, you know, he was born into this world to testify to truth. That's interesting. He's born to testify to truth. Not only is he born to testify to truth, but Jesus says that everyone on the side of truth will listen to me, thus those who aren't on the side of truth won't. And then to that, Pilate retorts, what is truth? So let's start with uh, Pilate's uh, question, what is truth? You know, it, it's a good question for, uh, for even in our day and age, what is truth? Well, if you really want to know what truth is, this is how truth is defined. Truth is an accurate representation of reality. Truth is an accurate representation of reality. 
Well, so what is an accurate representation of reality? Now, that's a difficult part. The reason we don't know what truth is is because we don't know what is an accurate representation of reality versus an inaccurate representation of reality. One of my favorite uh, phrases that I tell people is, I'm like, be careful, perception is reality. Now, is perception reality? No, perception has nothing to do with reality because your perception might stink. But in your mind, it's reality. So we have to be careful how things are perceived because if it's perceived a certain way, that becomes reality, that becomes truth, even though it's not truth. So what is truth? I mean, people would say it's perception. People would say it's, it's perspective, right? Um, but our perspective is, is skewed depending on what part of the country you grew up in, depending on, on um, you know, if your parents were liberal or they're conservative, depending on where you went to uh, college or university, depending on, you know, what your life experiences were and so forth. We're going to all have different perceptions and different perspectives on things. We believe our opinions to be truth, but once again, our opinions are just, uh, they're influenced by how we've experienced life. And our opinions are no more truth than the next person's opinions. And it's so hard to figure out what truth is because I mentioned a few weeks back that, that apparently we're lied to somewhere between 10 and 100 times or 200 times a day, I don't know, some crazy amount that, that we're lied to. And when you're constantly being lied to and lied to and lied to, how are you supposed to know what truth is? How are you know, supposed to know what an accurate representation of reality is when that's being distorted all the time? Think about all the things that we hear through the media and, and fake news, things that are no longer facts that are being reported, but these are facts that are being digested by a human being who's going to put their spin on it or their own ideology on it and feed it off the backside as facts. That seems like truth and reality, but in fact, you can take the same set of facts and it's being filtered through two different people and get a different understanding of what reality is. Not to mention when, when, when you just think of like technology in, in, in truth and reality, people can like create like fake news articles that look like they're coming from a major uh, news organization that are just imitations. I shared with you uh, several months ago a video of this guy uh, pretending to be Tom Cruise, and he didn't look like Tom Cruise, but when the computer generation was done doing what it was doing, as he was talking and moving and doing different things, he looked just like Tom Cruise doing it. So as all this stuff's going on, how are we supposed to know what truth and reality is? When Pilate says what is truth, it's really no different than now. In fact, it's always been that way and since all of humanity in which truth and reality is hard to determine. Why? Because Satan is the, the great deceiver. Great, uh, Satan is the, is the father of lies. And you go back to the beginning of time, and what does Satan do? He takes the word of God, and he puts a little twist in it to, to Adam and Eve, and he says, did God really say, and he, he twists it just a little bit, that their concept and perception of truth and reality is skewed. Um, Satan is uh, in the Old Testament that there were false prophets. How are you supposed to determine between a false prophet and a true prophet? Well, in the end, you're able to tell because if it happens, then they're true. But in that moment and in that time, how do you tell the difference between false and, and, and true? It's hard because Satan you know, will skew uh, what appears to even be the word of God. Think about Jesus when he did his 40 days of wandering in the wilderness. Um, what does Satan do? He comes and he, he attacks Jesus about what is truth. He uses scripture to tempt Jesus. Well, God said, if you do this, but Jesus knew scripture even better. He knew that Satan was trying to twist it. And so he comes back and, and, and counts 
counter Satan's claims of Scripture with Scripture. You know what? Satan does the same thing with us. We don't necessarily know what God's Word says, so someone quotes something from God's Word, and it's not even in the Bible, but we don't know any better, and we believe it. Or we read some passage out of context, and it's not true to the reality of Scripture. Um, Satan tries to cause us to question if God really loves us or if God is really able to forgive us for the things that we've done. What is truth and what is reality? How are you supposed to know? Jesus says this, John chapter 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, he is truth. That's why Jesus says to Pilate, he said that, he's, he said, the very reason I came into the world is to testify to truth because God is truth. Jesus is that word of God that's made flesh. So Jesus gives testimony to the truth of God. Now he says, everyone who, who's on the side of truth will listen to me and those who are on the opposite side of truth won't. And so we're in a day and age in which people more than ever have rejected the word of God. Um, they, they reject Jesus. More and more people are becoming unchristian. You can't know truth apart from Jesus. And the, and the further away society moves itself from, from, from the truth of God's word, and even some, many Christians who believe in, God, in Jesus and so forth, they, they deny the truth of scripture. They make it out to be what they want. You can't know truth apart from Jesus. You can't. It would be like being dropped off in, in a densely wooded forest. And I say densely wooded because, I mean, you can't tell where the sun's coming up and where it's going down. It's so densely wooded that you can't look for where, which side of the tree moss is growing on and all these little tricks that, you know, those outdoorsmen learn to try to orient themselves. If, if you were in a densely wooded forest and you're told to go north, how would you even know where to go? You can't. We can't know truth apart from Jesus. But you know what? Truth is so incredibly important as we go through life because it's truth that helps us to be able to determine what's our priorities. How are you supposed to know what is a priority if, if you don't have truth? How are you supposed to know what's right and what's wrong if you don't have truth? How are you supposed to know what to value in life if you don't have truth? How are you supposed to determine what's important if you don't have truth? When, when you look at family and how do you operate as a family, how do you do that if you don't have truth? And, and, and in terms of how you might rethink and, and remake family, how, how can you determine that if, if that's really a positive thing for the kids or a negative thing for the kids if you don't have truth? How are you supposed to evaluate society and these, these ideas and these, these, these different, like, like past that, that corporations and governments set us on if we don't have truth. The reality is, is, is you can't. And as we move and move more and more to post-Christian world, um, we just, we don't know what truth is anymore. So we live in a world today in which leaders are leading apart from truth because it's apart from Jesus and the values that he taught us. They lead based upon popularity and they lead based upon safety. 
and we wonder why we have the world in which we have today. It's going in the wrong direction. It's going to continue going in the wrong direction. It's a mistake. It's a mistake to, to, to not root your understanding of life and truth. It's a mistake to, to lead out of safety. It's a mistake to lead out of popularity. These are all mistakes. But guess what? God uses mistakes to bring about his will and his purpose. In the same way that he used his mistakes to bring about uh, the salvation of mankind through Jesus' death on the cross, guess what? He's, he's allowing the, this all to take place in the world to bring to the end uh, the, the conclusion of humanity upon this earth because the scripture says in the final days, all these things are gonna go on. These mistakes are happening so that ultimately God can usher in the new heaven and new earth, which he promises to do um, with the judgment of Christ and his return. And so I encourage you with those words that even in the mistakes of where we're headed as a world right now, God's working his purpose, he's working his glory, be faithful to the end, and I will give you the crown of eternal life, he says. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for, um, for this morning to be able to come and to hear your word. As we've looked at this series of the mistakes of many people, we pray, gracious God, that we've learned from them. But we pray also, merciful God, that we would learn from the mistakes of our own lives because we've all uh, failed and we've all fallen short of what your will is for our lives. But even in the midst of our own mistakes, you work all things for the good of those who love you. So in our mistakes and in our failures, make us into being better people. Let us uh, be better parents. Let us be better um, husbands and wives. Let us be better um, leaders in, in society. Let us be more courageous in our faith and our fail, failures of, uh, of failing to, uh, to speak up for you. Um, let us never to, uh, to make those mistakes again, to just in, in all the different kinds of mistakes and all the di different kinds of failures in our lives, um, that uh, through your forgiveness, through your love, through your mercy, through working all things for the good of those who love you, help us, gracious God, to become stronger, um, and better as a result of it. Uh, we pray this, gracious God, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.